Today, we will be speaking with Ruslan Gayenko. Gayenko is currently a professor at McGill University, has been on the faculty at the University of Toronto and University of Notre Dame, a visiting associate professor at Yale, and the founder and scientific director of Firm Labs, where they look to bridge the gap between finance, computer science, academia, and industry. I hope you enjoy the talk. What is multi-factor investing and what is reinforcement learning? These are uh, so far been two separate things and in our recent research, we brought it together. But uh, uh, multi-factor investing is uh, basically investing in, uh, so there are risk factors, right? So the, the, the factors are the market. S&P 500 is a market factor, right? There are other factors out there, for example, value. Right. So Russell index as a family, they have uh, uh, different categories of indexes, right? So one of them is value, another one of the, like some of them can be mid cap or the small cap. So those are the factors which give you kind of uh, exposure to the asset class uh, based on the characteristics. So small size stocks characteristics, which are often affiliated with the growth stocks, right? Or, or the value characteristics, right? So those are, are very close to what we call blue chips, right? The mature companies which pay dividends and uh, like the, like IBM, Microsoft, those kind of companies. So when we, we, we approach a, a problem of multi-factor, you can think of it as a multi-style investment, right? So I want to form a portfolio which consists of uh, just pure exposure to the market as an S&P 500, or at, at the same time, it has exposure to the value, to the small cap, mid cap, different size categories. So it's kind of multi-characteristic exposure portfolio, which gives you diversification across different characteristics, right? And at the same time, uh, allows you to sort of adjust the risk, right? You can tilt portfolio to more conservative characteristics, uh, or if you kind of want to take more risk, you can tilt portfolio to, to smaller cap stocks, for example. Now that answers your first question, Ayama, and the second question, reinforcement learning, right? So this comes basically from, uh, it's, it's AI. It's, <laughs> that's what people call AI, it's, it's an element. It comes from machine learning, and reinforcement learning is that that's how you train algorithm to, to learn. I think the best example of this would be AlphaGo. Have you heard about AlphaGo? No, I haven't. So Alpha, okay, so the, the AlphaGo is the, the it's, it's a self-learning AI algorithm and it, it learned a lot of things on its own, right? And it bit a lot of very good players. It's, it's, in the, it's, it's a board game. It's a, it's a, and it learned to play it on its own without seeing other people playing it, right? And eventually it started beating the best players in that game. So what does it do or how it does it? So you basically let the algorithm to learn what the best expected outcome of your action, right? So for example, uh, as it is, if we speak about, about the stock market, right? So the best expected outcome of my action is higher return, right? So using this kind of approach of reinforcement learning, so by it's unsupervised learning, first of all, right? Because we, for example, don't know what our 
best expected portfolio return could be. But what we do here is we let the algorithm actually to learn first from the training data, what the best expected outcome can be, right? And then when it's learned from training about, about what the, it learns it, it identifies. Normally supervised learning is that when you train it on the specific outcome, you know, right? This one, we let it learn what could be the best outcome, what could be the best return of our portfolio. It learns it from the training data, right? And then basically we allow it after being trained, right, to invest in the future. That would be kind of short summary what reinforcement learning does. Again, the main difference between uh, it's unsupervised, the main difference, supervised learning, you know what your objective is, you know what the outcome is. Unsupervised, you let the data determine, the algorithm in a data-driven way to determine what could be the best outcome. And it learns it from the trial and errors. In the beginning, it's very silly, but after it learns, learns over and over again, it, it, it becomes very smart. So how are these two ideas brought together? So the thing is, when you bring different styles in the same portfolio, right? So, so as an asset manager, as a human, right? So you rely on your experiences, right? So the how much I want to invest. So what is my risk tolerance? And then I decide how much I want to invest in small cap, medium cap value, just momentum. Moment or the momentum is a trend in the data which persists, right? So those those styles, right? And I would rely on my experiences or what I've lived in the past. And I'm obviously going to be observing the current situation, right? The difference between human and machine, you know, the algorithm, right? Algorithm would be doing the same thing. The only difference is that algorithm, while learning the experiences, right, would be learning it conditioned on big data, right? And there I'm going to bring all possibly imagining finance data we have, which we use, those which we don't use, but I think relevant, I'll bring the map in, I'll bring the news in, I'll bring the tax data in, I'll bring the sentiment in, something that traditional models cannot accommodate. And I let algorithm to learn what would be the best allocation when it reads everything. It reads fundamental information, it reads alternative data, it reads text, it reads thousands of articles per day. It understands what the macro situation is. It learns what the best under this market condition to invest, how to invest, which factors to tilt their, their portfolio weights, right? It does the same thing as what human portfolio manager would be doing. The only difference is it leverages a massive amount of data that human as a humans, we cannot really process them in, in real time. I have some further questions about multi-factor investing. I was wondering, how is the strategy developed? Um, where do you find that the strategy will go in the future? So multi-factor investing, or just, it's, it's uh, the, 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 this is the style in the in investment industry, right? Factor investing or factor portfolios, or factor in, like the, these are kind of st standard, uh, the standard right now in the finance community, right? So you can build portfolios. Uh, so those are benchmarks. You, you can think of this factor portfolio, or the indexes, right, as a benchmarks. 
but you can think of ETFs, right? A lot of them are just ETFs. So what this is about, or this portfolio is about, is a portfolio is a basket of ETFs. You simply, instead of holding the market ETF, one index, one factor, right? You can hold uh, several others, right? So you can uh, buy other ETFs, different asset classes, different asset characteristics, which give you different exposures. So this is not, this is present now, now in the industry, right? So you can do it, right? So you basically can, you as an individual investor, you can create a portfolio of what we call a multi-factor portfolio, but in a sense, it's going to be a multi-ETF, multi-ETFs portfolio, right? The only thing is how you allocate the weights, what you what do you buy more, right? So do you buy, do, do you buy more of the, the exposure to the S&P 500, ETF or, or, or S&P 500, or you're just gonna go for more for the value stocks or more for the for the uh, for the smaller smaller stocks, right? So the index of small stocks, right? And that that depends on where you are in the economy, right? And where you will be in the economy, where you anticipate to be in the future, right? So if I am and approaching the crisis, I probably want to have less exposure to small stocks because small stocks, when there is a crisis, they basically drop in value the most because they're the most volatile, right? I want to be more in the blue chips, right? More in something with the less volatility or I want to actually switch to, 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 to the bonds, to treasury bonds, right? Government bonds. This is the basically the safest during the crisis. So this is also the ETF that you can buy. This can be part of your portfolio. The, the timing is basically the of an essence. So where it's gonna go, <laughs> um, or what I think where it's gonna go that, and it's there already. A lot of big asset managers, uh, and by big, uh, the, the JP Morgan, for example, right? There is a reason JP Morgan in the recent earnings call, they announced that this year budget of investing in AI technologies on a firm level is 12 billion. It's 12 billion they invest this year just in their AI development, right? And it's 26% up from 2020. So it tells something, right? When the biggest firms, which actually are there to revolutionize or develop the best products to be ahead, invested so much in AI. So there is value in it. So where I think it's going to go is that it's going to be more and more of this. Why? Because it really, really helps humans to make human managers to make better asset allocation decisions, better timing decisions about when and, and to where reallocate portfolio weights. How can the average retail investor use the concept of multi-factor investing in their own portfolio? There is a simplification, which is less precise, uh, but still kind of gives you to the same principle, right? So what this does is that it's called something like volatility timing, right? So just don't think of it, start from simple, take one ETF, which is a S&P 500, right? So, and uh, so how you deal with this portfolio, uh, so 
traditional traditional uh, and that this conclusion actually comes from this research we've done so traditional approaches for long-term investors basically suggest uh, when there is a market crush just you do nothing right because in the long term the market is going to rebound and uh, you basically whatever you feel you might be losing now if you don't touch it right it will come back and that's basically uh, what long-term investors should do. They just should put money and never touch them, right? What we are suggesting is this is not quite true, right? So, and if you actually do, if you can, act, if you actually want to do as well, or even better than short-term aggressive investors, the best is when there is a higher volatility in the market, you exit, you sell, right? And uh, when the volatility comes down, you come, you enter back into the market. And just because you, you, you're exiting on the down, so you're not losing as much as you would be just wait until the end and the market drops. And then when you buying on the up, when the market is rebounding, coming back. So just because of these trades, which are not very often, right so this crisis or these shocks just, just don't they don't happen every day they don't happen every month right but just doing by that doing that let's say once half a year when there is a volatility you already can outperform a simple passive strategy pension fund portfolio one etf when you see how it works when uh, and uh, then you can add another factor right but then you need to look at the correlations, how they, they, they come together. Do they fall together at the same moment, the core high correlation, right? Or if the one is more conservative and doesn't fall as much, right? So then you can use the other one as a bit of a hedge to the first one, which is more volatile, right? And then you can have a little bit of kind of diversification, right? So in a sense, and then, and then you add another one and another one. After you master two, you you start to 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 add the third third ETF and so on. What is the most important thing for young investors to keep in mind when they're aiming for these medium to long term profits? Not to cut up in uh, in emotions, <laughs> and not to cut up in, in and the reason we use machines is that. Uh, because they give us signals from the data, from aggregated data, right? And when sometimes as a human you think, uh, I can't, I can't sell. It's already losing value, right? And when machine all this aggregated data tell you it's going to lose even more value, right? Then it's easier for you to just go and I sell, right? And I buy later on when the the prices fall even further. Right. But this is the hardest decision for 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 any any investor because we are emotional, right? So the uh, how do I know I'm gonna sell and it's not gonna rebound tomorrow, right? And to know this, you need to live through so many events till you develop this in your head, right? So the until you actually know like what are the basic signals of further kind of further dropping down or what are the basic signals out there when the market should be rebounding soon so 
the best is develop a rule. Develop a rule and don't cut up in short-term speculations, news, just stick to the rule. A, a lot of discipline. That's what takes a lot of from a <laughs> from an investor. Rule and then the discipline to follow the rule. You also mentioned your research, the idea of low frequency rebalancing. So you could talk some about that and also explain the basic of trading costs. So the uh, trading costs are actually huge punishment, right? So for, for any portfolio managers, because uh, the big portfolios are in billions, all right? And one example, which is basically from one of the um, publications I read recently, that about the, for example, Stanford Endowment of about 30-ish billion, right? Annually, they have 300 million in trading costs, right? 300 million on 30 billion portfolio, right? So the so what does it mean? It means it's the 300 million out of somebody else's pockets, right? So it, these are in, investors who are actually going to pay these costs, right? This could have been saved, right? There is no model, actually, traditional model and traditional investment textbook, which actually can optimize, maximizing return, minimizing the variance, and minimizing trading costs. It's, it's, there is no textbook model like this, right? But essentially, what, what, what this AI or machine learning actually can, can give you, while you sort of like, it, it, it can allow you to, to, to not to spend 300 million, but potentially decrease the 300 million to something less, right? And, and all those gains are just going to be profits to, 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 to the investors. So how frequently you can rebalance depends on your strategies, right? But every strategy, if you rebalance every month, yeah, you you are you 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 spend a lot. You spend definitely more than three hundred million on the on the thirty billion portfolio. If you rebalance every half a year, the costs are obviously lower, right? Depending what fraction of portfolio you need to to rebalance as well, this another. But trading costs are huge, and those trading costs are what is taken out of profits of the investors, right? So they could be managed as well. And machine learning uh, models and algorithms allow to do that, right? And so the basic message is the faster we start incorporating what we call AI into the investment management, right? So the, uh, at least from point of view of optimizing trading costs, these can be done safely from AI standpoint of view, the more we're going to save for for our investors. How should a beginner retail investor manage trading costs? Should they simply hold their positions? Or should there be moments, as you mentioned earlier, with regards to volatility, where they should close these positions? Well, the, the typical uh, retail investor, I guess the, the, the trading costs depend how it trades, but the different venues, so one trade is about $10 you pay for one trade, right? So the it's a... Uh, so for retail costs are, again, it depends. If you trade 100 times per day, you're, it's, you probably 
it's not probably a good idea, right? So, and retailers normally don't do it. But the uh, to save on trading costs, um, so it depends on on your strategy. If you're a high frequency trader, you're not a retailer, right? But if you're a very very frequent trader, right, you need to make sure what you're doing, right? Because your profits and your costs, right, should should kind of net out positively, right? So you have eventually net positive profits. So for a typical retailer, it's it's normally um, it's it's normally buy and hold strategy is the best. Now, what kind of strategy? Some retailers aim to do stock picking. This is hard. You don't have nearly all the information that active investors have. You don't have nearly all the experiences that these managers who manage these portfolios have. Stock picking will be incredibly hard. Plus, it's a 24-7 job. If you are a stock picker, it's a full-time job. Right? Even with, with, the, with a handful of stocks, it's going to take half of your working hours if you want to do it right. So I would suggest do not do stock picking. A lot of time, a lot of stress, a lot of risk. What I would suggest is do indexing, do what passive benchmarks are, ETFs, diversified portfolios. They already give you exposure to the most of the segments of the markets. But what you can do the best as a retailer is doing what I was suggesting earlier. When they develop volatility, develop a volatility strategy, right? Is volatility, if volatility goes up by a certain amount, you, you exit, you sell. When volatility comes, well, what it means, it means the market dropped, right? So you, you, you start, start dropping, you sell, and then come back to the market. As a retailer, you can actively exit the market, even fully cash out, and then fully come back to the market. And that would be the best strategy where you can save on trading costs. And by timing this market, even if you are late in your timing, it doesn't matter. If you follow the trend and you exit and then you re-enter close to the bottom, you're still going to do better. You're still going to do better than, than often than, than stock pickers on average over long term.